0: Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of This Property Life podcast. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Raj Bat. I met Raj just about 10 years ago now on a three-day intensive property training. Raj was very hungry, uh, very driven, and wants to take massive action, which is exactly what he's done. Keep tuned into this episode to hear how Raj has built his portfolio of mainly HMO properties, as well as some of the bigger deals that he's been doing more recently. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Uh, James here. Today I'm joined by Raj, Raj Bat. So, Raj, thank you for joining me today. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, James. Uh, I met Raj a number of years ago now uh, on a three day property training course. Um, Raj was very motivated, very keen, wanted to uh, you know, develop his portfolio and has taken absolutely massive action since then. I can't even, was it about 2014, 2015? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so that yeah. right now, yeah. Long, so. long, long time ago. Um, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about obviously maybe your background pre-property?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, so yeah, thanks for the uh, lovely introduction, James. So yeah, so as my name Viraj Bat. So prior to property, so I was very much um working in the corporate world. So I'm based out in northwest London and working primarily in central London, really. So it's very much um you know, my background is very much project manager IT. Um, working in, uh, in in corporate companies, so blue-chip companies uh, across various sectors, private, public companies, including banking. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I pretty much started out in there. I did buy my first property along the way, pretty much from amateur investor, close to where I am in Northwest London. Um, and to be honest, it was making a bit of a loss. Um, but, yeah, very much focusing on, on, on the corporate stuff. Um, and obviously we met James in, in 2015, um, 2014, 2015, um, and from there it really accelerated. So, um, but yeah, for my clients we were working with prior to sort of getting involved in properties, um, a Lloyd's banking group, home office, Barclay card, um, transport for London, Circo, that sort of thing. So very much corporate getting on the tube, reading the Metro paper, thinking, you know, when I'm going to make it. And then, uh, <laughs> You Know you, you kind of um you dream of those things
0: uh and then yeah, you know, about 2014 15 met James and sort of went forward from there. So, so was it kind of like saw, saw an advert and obviously you you had the experience of your of your one buy to let? Was it was it kind of a an awareness of going, I'm possibly not doing something quite right here if it's making me a loss, or was it kind of just just hungry to learn more and see what the
1: different yeah, it? yeah, I suppose, yeah. So, the one I bought was um, you know, it was probably did everything you could have done wrong really uh but didn't really didn't know any better because yeah. um I, yeah i didn't really have many in that point and have you still have like, you still got that one today Still, yeah still yes. still got
0: it there but it's obviously it's performing now um, yeah i was gonna say it's probably i'm sure it's if it's in london it's probably shut up in value since you know yeah. over the last eight nine years and no exactly turned itself around
1: yeah that's it i mean we had tenant problems all sort of evictions i didn't know what i was doing sort of learning as i go but um but now, sort of, you know, transitioned to, to where I am today. It's obviously a you know, big, big, big step up. And um, yeah, but yeah, and
0: it's all down to obviously that training we went through together, you know. So, um, yeah. So, you obviously, I said, had that one experience, worked full time, living in London. What were your kind of first steps as a professional investor then, Raj?
1: Yeah, that's no, a good, good, good question, James. So, yes, yeah, so and what, what we, what I essentially did, obviously, uh, as James alluded to, we, we went through sort of property training. Um, Course and that really just elevated. I thought before that I thought you know there's not much more I need to know. I've got all the knowledge. You kind of think you know you know what you know. I've already got my first one, so just rinse and repeat, keep going. But I did make a lot of mistakes with that. Through that property training, um, obviously having having the training and the mentorship there, um, that just opened my mind to, to to a whole different mind of strategies. You know, rubbing shoulders other people who are obviously doing other things. You know, in my in my world, it's sort of I've done the best I possibly can, but then meeting other people who are, you know, possibly younger than you, doing more bigger things than you, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, wow, okay, so I'm, I'm a small, you know, you're thinking I was a big fish in a, in a small pond. I then realized I'm actually a, you know, a, a, a small fish in a big pond, uh, which was great because I took it as the challenge, but. The first steps I did was really just knuckle down on um on the training, get my head around some of the key strategies, yeah. understand all the different ones, sort of you know, HMOs, credit finance, um, distressed properties, you know, commercial raising conversions, all that. And then I really just focused in on 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 the one which for me was HMOs at the yeah. time. Um, you know, very much sort of a numbers person, but really looked at the numbers on HMO and thought, actually, you know what, that's gonna take me to where I wanna be. In, in a quick space is that,
0: of time. It's that kind of good good salary, living in London, life's not cheap as well. So, you know, the kind of the idea of little buy-to-lets, you're kind of probably starting to look at the numbers going, oh my God, how many of those am I going to need to be able to, to yeah. sort of start freeing up time and to, to to kind of give me give me some more choice?
1: No, exactly that. You know, because when you look on average sort of buy-to-lets at that time, it's sort you know, you're profiting about minimum sort of 150, 200 quid. HMO, you sort of, a you know, small one, five, six, bed can get you 500, 750 pounds cash flow yeah. per month. So you think, actually I only need X amount of HMOs to get me to where I need to be in terms of financial freedom. So, and I suppose that was the strategy is one thing, but then secondly, I'd, I'd never invested out, although I only had one or two at the time, I'd never invested or thought of investing outside of Northwest London where I live. I've always, thought anything North of Watford, is just North and (laughs) thing, um, typical London mindset. Um, but then actually, you know, I studied in Birmingham, did my university degree there. I'd never thought of investing in like Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool. Mm. I've just dismissed those. Um, but through the train, realised actually that you can invest in a lot more areas outside of London. So I invested two hundred miles away from where I live and you know, start to build up a, um, a HMO portfolio
0: just outside of Liverpool. Um, and, and obviously, being it being so far away with a full time job, Raj. I'm guessing you weren't doing everything there yourself, so you were, were you outsourcing some of the some of the work.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes, yeah. so I,
0: so I still remember those early days. Actually, it was, it was sort of
1: 2014. You know, I tell. Them, I think it was 2013, 2014, because my son was born 2014. I remember that's when we sort of yeah. started getting into it. So it's 2013. Yeah, it's nearly, what 10 years ago now, but yes, yeah, so I was working full time. I think in September 2013, January found out we're expecting a baby. September. Uh, and I just bought a new car, but we, we were, that, at that point, I realised it was either, I've got nine months now, not me, wife's getting pregnant, not me, but nine months till baby's born, either I accelerate and knuckle down and get going, or I wait for the baby to be born, and then I start. But I, but I, I chose, consciously decided, actually, I need to get going now. I wanted to get my first few up and running, so, yes, yeah, so I had to sort of lean into into actually finding the sites first of all, mm-hmm. but I think the first step was to yeah, focusing on an area, understand what your location is, and then make that your second home. So, you know, I was going, I was working full-time. I'd, I used to go up into the territory every two weeks, every three weeks. You know, when I, before I, when I thought I was oh, the bee's in London I'd do one viewing, I'd make one offer, sit on it for two or three weeks, tell everyone I know I've got an offer on that, <laughs> when it gets rejected, you start again. So, but obviously, learning the what i need you know, through the training and mentor, i realized actually you need to smash out your viewings in a day so i was doing 10 15 viewings in a day my time was precious there's a lot more organizations so i'd take a train up on a on a friday i'd spend three days the whole weekend there i'd take one day off on the friday from work i'd hire a car when i get to the you know station
0: and then i'll i'd smash out 15 views in a day um so well, you can right. really ramp up you know of those 15 you might not offer on every single one but if you're offering on 12 13 of them you're doing that you know two, de- two three days sort of consecutively you're getting a lot of offers out
1: yeah absolutely and that was a mind shift for me you know because I, I remember talking to obviously my, my mentor I'm like, hey, what What if they all accept you put 12 offers in what if you they all accept i haven't got the money to mm-hmm. and you know i was to get the mentor said well that's a good problem to have which mm-hmm. in my actually was because if you're 15 offers at the price that you want, you know, Find You can use those to then find investors on
0: the back of it. So that was, yeah, sort of... find investors, source them on. There's always options, isn't there? But it all comes yeah. down to, as you say, kind of making sure it's at a price that works for you. That's it, exactly. So, um, and
1: obviously with HMOs, obviously, that's a fairly, it's really apparent that's quite a heavily regulated industry. But see, having done the training, I understood what it was back then. Um, so the second part, when you have had an offer or accepted, you had to find a, a you know builder to understood HMOs uh, to make sure it's built to specification. My first one was a licensed HMO. went in right into the deep end, um, but then again, finding a builder, you're following the process, following your peers, your mentor, what other people are saying at the time to do so. I'd, you know, again, I'd, my time was very precious. i working full time, fairly high pressure job. Um, but what I would do is when I got the property, property offer accepted. I'd, you know, we'd done the architect drawings. um, We had the planning, I can't remember if it needed planning for that first one or not. I don't think it, well, actually it yet did. Got the planning approved. Uh, And then when I'd gone meet builders, I'd, I'd, you know, line up five builders in a day. I'd sit on site for the day and I'd literally carve out an hour for each builder. And from five builders, you you know, probably four quoted for that particular job for the first one of which of those four, one will be high. I think two or high, so I shortlist down to two. Um, then for those two, I've then gone meet those builders on their existing sites, see what projects they're doing. And to be honest,
0: between the two I shortlisted they're both equally as good. And, and did they both have HMO experience? Because that's really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that was one of the things I was looking for. Cause it's see with with HMOs, you've got you know, FD 30 doors, you've got intermittent strips, you've got interlink fire alarms. All those things have to be done. So I wanted to make sure, and also because I'm 200 miles away, I needed to allow the builder to have
0: experience. I didn't want to be yeah trying to teach him that over. Because even though what you you knew what needed to be done, if you're not there on site every single day, and you're you know maybe you get up there in two weeks time and they've they've done it all wrong, that's a lot of time that's going to be wasted on the project. It's probably you know extra expense coming out of your pocket for No, no things right. No, exactly that. So, um,
1: yeah. So both of them, I went on site to their existing project. Both had to happen to be HMOs. Mm. I ended up choosing one. Well, I've forgotten his name now, but I ended up choosing him for my first one. And ironically, after that, you know, I really ramped up and did, you know, four or five on the back of that. And I ended up choosing my number two builder, who then ran with the rest of them actually. Yeah. But um, but it all, I think it's also down to relationships. Important to you know when you are in an area. know everyone knows everyone the builder will know the letting agent the letting agent will know the architect architect will know the surveyor so it's good to make sure you maintain your reputation even if it's a no for something this time you never know what's around the corner in six months a year you might need to lean in somebody else or things might change and so i realized early on it is
0: you need to maintain those relationships to 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 progress really and and the the area that you chose you sort of mentioned that you went to university in birmingham did you know that area before or was it kind of a completely new, you went on the numbers rather than went on sort of what you knew? Yeah, before. literally. I mean, it was literally a spreadsheet.
1: You know, you know I, I, I think when I started, I, I, when I was looking at HMOs, well, I researched 50 towns and centres across the UK initially. Um, and, you know, each town and city works in whatever capacity. And I shortlisted mm-hmm. down to three. So one was the one I mentioned, it's out of Liverpool. Gillingham was another. Gillingham was another one. I forget what the third one was, but yeah, they're all over. The, England yeah. only, was only but it's all over England. I mean, if you, if you spoke to me, sort of, beyond that, you know, if I said Look, I'm investing here, you would have kind of slapped myself in the future saying, "What are you, what are you doing?" But <laughs> actually, I turned around and slap myself in the past,
0: saying, why, "Why didn't you do it earlier?" So, and with HMOS, as you know, our listeners might be aware, there's, there's multiple different tenant types. Um, so, who was your kind of avatar? Yeah. What was your kind of what type of person lives in your, in your HMOs? Yeah, that's a really
1: good question. So yeah, I, I intentionally, obviously I was a student myself and I knew, you know, when I was in university, I was in a house with 10 people and I knew what, what went, you know, what we were doing. Party house, that
0: sounds like. Yeah,
1: (laughs) crazy, you know, so I I don't know, I I kind of thought that I don't want to go down the route of students. You know, who I came through with, um, that he went down the route of students, but I, I focused on, um, uh, working professionals really um and that's partially because there wasn't a a university you know if you're going down to students you need to have at least two or three universities to make it work workable but in the area i am there were no universities one college but i focused on working professionals um and i think the, the, the thing to do is not to mix tenant types if you're going down to students go Down, students. If you're going working professionals, go down working professionals. Don't try and mix student profiles because it's just going to get really messy. Student mindset is very different to somebody who's sort of working and place of peace and, and all that, where students are a bit more sort of you know, we've all been there, you know, got a bit loud, you know, party and, and there is no night, you know, you just carry on. So, but <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I went down, I made consciousness and working professionals, while I'm sort of going down, and that's what I'm really focusing on, really.
0: And I presume, again, that was all managed by letting agents. You kind of had a team that kind of vet those potential, you know, tenants and and sort of deal with all of that for you being so far away as well. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. I think it's all about sort of setting up systems and processes. So I looked at, um, obviously, my one down in London, I managed myself. But that one where you've got five, six, eight, ten tenants, you know, you you need someone local, somebody, eyes and ears. So I, I chose a local letting agent, which, again, I interviewed three or four local letting agents not your every letting agent won't fit the bill your high street your letting agent doesn't necessarily do hmos you do need a sort of hmo specialist letting agent to to look after those um so i interviewed two or three and then sort of agreed on one and, and let them sort of you know, they're effectively your letting agent is your partner basically you need to yeah, they work they're the people you get into bed with um builders yes um you yeah, for that three two or three months when you do the renovation and for future hmos absolutely but letting agent are really the guys who are going to work with you you know when you've got problems and stuff they're the guys you're going to build a relationship for years really so
0: they're part of that long-term team as well
1: yeah exactly that that's it so i treat my letting agent as i, I treat my sort of That would be my local team in that area, but my national team includes sort of my accountant, my solicitor, um, and recently sort of planning consultant as well. But, yeah, those are sort of – they necessarily need to be based in your local area. But
0: And with the Letting it, did you kind of take their lead on on certain things, or did you kind of, you know, educate them about how you wanted things to be done? Because you sort of built up quite a sizable HMO portfolio, so you almost – you know, did you have sort of effectively pass your systems and say, "I want this, that, and the other. I want tenants that are going to be staying for at least a year, and you know, I want you to vet them in this way," or, or did you kind of just take their lead and guidance on it? Yeah,
1: it's probably. Yeah, it's another good question, actually, James. I think a bit of both, actually. Obviously, I was uh, at the time my first one. I was fairly new going in. Um, obviously, I asked them to use my AST contract because that was something i bought you know across all my portfolio now that every contract is the same, Um and I use the an NRLA one now for, for across all of those, but it's a bit of two and fro. you know, Dave obviously managing a portfolio HMOs. I can't change how they manage, but I just want to make sure the checks were there. Mm. Um, I asked you know, for all my HMOs, I asked for, which is probably slightly different to, to other landlords, is that I asked for a weekly um, sort of spreadsheet to be sent to me on a Monday morning you know, for, for all the HMOs. And I'd like to see what's been paid, what arrears mm. are in place. I know I don't take the money until end of the month, but I just like to see on a weekly basis. Yeah. It keeps me focused. It keeps me sharp. Um, but then, if there are tenants who have got arrears or
0: not paying, I can see those on a weekly basis. It's on on a weekly basis if you're checking things. You 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 know, you, you, as you say, your fingers on the pulse. If if something is not quite right, you're going to find out a lot faster than if it's only kind of monthly.
1: Yeah, that's it. You know, it allows you to take um action if you need to you know if you've seen sort of repeat behavior where tenants are, are not paying you can you, know, you can ask the agent to send text messages and you know, reminders via email maybe visit them face to face and if you're still seeing i think what you start to see is you start to see patterns in tenants when you can see a, a good tenant whatever reason if they've lost their job there's something event which happened in their lifestyle fine you can deal with that they need a bit of breathing space and they bring themselves back but then you'll see other behaviors where actually they're just building up a debt and you can see actually it's on writing on the cards a little bit where you think actually that it's probably better they leave um uh and go down that route really so it's um but yeah definitely working with an agent you need to make sure the relationships are good um you know probably not much i haven't seen in the years now
0: we've we've pretty much had every everything that could possibly tenant tenant evictions tenants doing runners all those yeah yeah all of
1: that yeah even some of the more extreme stuff i've seen um so it's uh, (laughs) um yeah it's yeah you see it all And as a a property investor developer you kind of you know you're always problems i always say the wife you're just problem solving every day you're putting out some sort of fire here or everywhere you know so it's um but you get used to it don't you so
0: (laughs) And we we often sort of say you know HMOs are they are definitely one of the more complex areas of property investment. There are so many more moving parts, and and each council's got their own different rules and regulations, which again makes it really difficult um, in order to kind of know exactly what you need to do. Did you find it quite a steep learning curve jumping straight into HMOs, or would have you rather have done some buy to lets first? Obviously, I know the cash flow is there, but the actual kind of that yeah. experience of, of developing your first HMO. You know,
1: yeah, so I had a few sort of biter lets down in London before I actually did did the HMO. So that was very useful to become, you know, if if if, if you know if you're looking to get in, you know, don't just chase the money. You need to sort of be comfortable because really what you're doing is you're setting up a business. And people say, you know, property is get rich scheme. It's not, you know, you, you really you are just setting up a business and you need to be make sure that you are comfortable and knowing you've got to have that mindset shift and have that space in your mind to actually i'm going to be doing this but i'm also i'm moving into something new um and i probably you know, I, I i probably on the HMOs, I, I did a fair few in a very very short space of time i want mean, to we'll look back and think well how the hell i've sort of, got one running you're off your second ones on the go
0: and another one sort of going through multiple candy. refurbs on the on like on the go and the builders yeah. one to the other and
1: yeah, literally, I think we had four or five on the go, simultaneously at various stages. And then I sort of, once that all done, I very quickly built up of, you know, you've got tenant part of that, you know, whatever, or 30 or 40 tenants mm-hmm. in a very short space of time, you're responsible for putting your head, you know, job, roof over their head. But then I then had to take a sort of a year mm-hmm. or so just to say, look, stop. You need to look at how you're going to manage this stuff and mm-hmm. systemize that. Because one thing, building up a portfolio quickly, but then... You, you then also need to make sure you've got systems in place to, to manage that properly. And that's working with the local agent, um, you know, where you, you try to systemize it as best you can but then also with HMOs, you know it's not always sort of a, a sort of money in money out it's you know sometimes you are leaving debt you're leaving a bit of debt in
0: in the property and you need to make sure that you can service that properly and and was that angel investors money was that did you do some flips along the way
1: yeah so when i it was probably a bit of everything really i started out i had as I mentioned i had a buy to let there so we released a bit of equity from from one of those to get going with it um and that got me moving um obviously when you refinance you go again but then once you've got multiple on the go at the time i also um we you know we use other sort of credit cards as well to, to finance some of the, the renovations um but then also i started to delve into sort of looking at angel investors i've never had angel investment in my life um so that's all quite daunting but you know i started to pick up a few you know small investors um to pull, pull, pull that money in yeah so, we had a bit of that, a bit of credit card, had some savings. I had some other sort of ICEs and stuff which I cashed in. So, initially, I was literally just
0: putting in everything from everywhere. About just um, trying to, you know, take the money that's not performing as well and get it into a high performing asset.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, then when I went through, you know, when we went through the training, I, I'd made a conscious decision 2013, 2014. This is, this is for the long term. It's not yeah. sort of, so even stuff I had ICEs, a bit saving. I just thought, you know what, I'm putting everything, all my eggs into property because that's where I saw it and it still is today and and will be for you know for the rest of my life really because it's you know for me that's that is the route um you know i've chosen and i'm I'm completely happy about completely passionate about and want to look back and change anything um so it's not uh for for any other reason but when you're starting out you are really doing everything in any way possible now it's a bit more structured and but you're still putting out fires you know it's just bigger fires basically sometimes so Yeah.
0: And how receptive obviously with when you're doing HMOs, you need to be working with the council. Um, how receptive were your council for what you were creating? Because sometimes councils kind of give HMOs a bit of a bad rap. They say that they're, you know, can create antisocial behaviour and things like that. Were the council quite happy to to work with you and pleased with what you were doing?
1: Yeah, so what I'd done, which is probably slightly different to how other investors had done, I'd actually contacted my council before I'd even purchased a single property. So I'd set up, I'd contacted the head of planning, I contacted the head of building, um, building control and the head of the HMO, um, environmental health, basically. So I said, look, I'd like to set up a meeting with you. Um, so I actually went to the, your lip, with the purpose of just meeting those three people and I sat with them and said, look, I'm a property investor down in London. I'm going to be investing in your area. Um, I just want to say hello more than anything else, uh, but more I think the relationship I really built with with the HMO officer, uh, Mike, and I said, look, we'll come into your area. And he was, he was quite receptive to what I was trying to do. I said, look, I don't want to – these are going to be high-end units. We will be doing something different. Um, I've seen what the competition is in the area, and this will be sort of a step above. Um, so he was quite receptive to the point where he said, look, once you've got your first one, before you even put Spade in ground, I'll come on site." And he, you know, he literally put put together a a specification for me for the property. And that was really down to me, sort of, not just me, obviously he was proactively building that. Building that
0: relationship and and, and kind of asking for support and help before you kind of needed to uh, kind of go into there and kind of go, oh, am I allowed this? So it's kind of, you know, asking for support rather than asking for kind of permission.
1: Yeah, that's it, you know, and it was very useful because one of the rooms actually, I, rem- I remember it clearly because we, we were trying to build a, a kitchen-diner area um, and that, I think, the first one we did was a five-bed licence HMO. But for that, and I clearly remember it because it's 11, at the time it was 11 square metres, it might have changed now, but 11 square metres to get a kitchen-diner. And mine, I think, was 10 and a half or 10 square metres. So it was only, you know, if Just I could, yeah, so if I couldn't have got that room as a kitchen diner, I would have had to sacrifice one of the other rooms. to run on a five-bed HMO; it would have been a four-bed HMO, which, as we all know, the cash flow then, it really takes a hit. So I, I got him on site and I said, "Look, this is my dilemma. How can we?" He said, "Look, I can't get, I can't take it. I think we were one meter off." He said, "Look, we need to at least get half of me. I can't give sacrifice." So with the builder, we realised there's actually a chimney stack in in the building, um, and he said, "Well, if we can get rid of that." Then I get that, your half meter you, back, get your half meter. You're still, I think it's 10 and a half. He needed 11. He goes, If it gets to 10 and a half, I'm happy with it. Mm. So that really helped me. Um, and obviously, that was just putting in a beam, so it cost me a little bit more to, to get that renovation done to take the chimney out put the beam in. But actually, long term, well worth it. Yeah, well worth it. And I've still got that HMO right, it cash flows really well. Um, but that was working with them, the council, to make sure everything's done. Even I think you might come on site halfway through. And when it came to sign off and giving me an issue certificate, it was more of a tick box exercise rather than sort of, will I get it, will I not? Because it's seen how we've done the building take photographs along the way. Yeah. Um, and even to this day, you know, we've been through probably a few times of renewing the HMO license. He's, he kind of knows what, I'm, what he's dealing with. Um, but then equally where we have had incidents, He'll phone me first, he will say, Raj, just to let you know, this has happened. This is going to escalate." Um, so then I'm on, I, I'm on the f- f- front foot, knowing I need to respond before it. Sort of because of the enforcement notices and the penalties, as we all know, in HMOs are, you know, it can kill you, right? So, yeah. um, so you need to just be on top of it,
0: and, and as long as sh- he sees you being proactive and trying to deal with it, I'm sure that kind of that goes a long way to. Oh. You no, know, I, you're, I, not, you're not kind of that standard armchair investor that just wants the ca- wants the cash flow coming in, doesn't care about the conditions that their tenants live in. You're not that kind of person at all. So no, the fact exactly. that they're seeing that and that you you will do anything in your power to put things right when they need to be done. Yeah. No, that's the kind of investor that councils want to work with.
1: No, 100%. And he even said, he goes, I wish more investors took took your approach, you know, so to make contact early on, rather than actually they'd get it all done and then you call them out and they're like, well, hang on a minute, you've done it all wrong or you've yeah. got your square foot is wrong and no you've you've missed the extra sink or the extra whatever. Um so it really does help to you know just be proactive really and make early contact. Um I mean not all councils can I appreciate sure, you know, we moved into a different area after and that council ran completely differently. They didn't want to meet any investors. They've got no time for it. It was well, okay fine. But it doesn't work with every council, but as long as you can you're making the right steps and headway, then that that does count a long way. So
0: so after your sort of the HMOs, I know you've been up to some bigger stuff more recently. Do you want to tell the listeners about that?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I've sort of um, did HMOs in that area. And then, you know, like anything I yeah you know, sound, you know, I kind of kept myself when I say but I started getting bored of it. I thought I need another challenge. So I went into another area, sort of more in northeast London and started building up HMOs there. Um, but then I started to get into sort of commercial to residential conversions as well. So we did a few of those. Um, where we're just taking you know, properties with a commercial element and um, converting the uppers into residential. Um, but one thing I've always wanted to do was to do a, um, a development down in London. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's about twenty nineteen. Um, we started to look at doing that in 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 well in London really. So it's northwest London really. You know, GDP is about two million um but that that was um and i started to get a bit more comfortable and confident in what i was doing so that was a bit more you know distressed seller in a pretty bad financial way um with a distressed property um you know they're on on a bridge uh and they needed to get out very quickly so we we sort of worked out an arrangement with him and we we we, you know we, we completed that development basically so we've done that now um that that was all done just before sort of COVID kicked in. We sold all those on the help to buy scheme. Um, we've also done some new build bungalows up in Luton um, not too long ago, which are all, you know, those are all done with 10-year structural warranties and stuff. Um, but then also I've been doing quite a bit in the auctions where we've just been buying and selling actually. It's, um, yeah. you know, if you spoke to me sort of two or three years ago, I would have been like, oh, just portfolio build, just hold everything, don't sell anything. Um but the last two or three years, we've, we've done quite a lot in the auctions, where we'll buy and sell. And actually, seeing sort of lump sum cash sums come in your bank account is actually quite nice. It's, um, it's, it's nice to sell stuff and it's a bit lumpy, but it's good when it comes off. It's, it, it's really nice. So. So, what,
0: so, just explain what you're doing on that side of things. So, you, are you buying in an auction and then selling straight back into auction? Are you selling stuff that you've already owned in an auction? What's, what is the actual play there?
1: yeah so what we do on the auctions we really um so I'm, I've, I've been to a live auction and it will if you've ever been if anyone's ever been to a live auction it'll screw your head up you know you, you don't know where you you walk out thinking you're confused or anything but no it's so what i do i focus on the unsold lots so i'm never in the room but i'm always focusing on unsold lots in an auction and um you know I buy, yeah after the auction basically mm. so you know, obviously you know built up a few contacts now uh, and they're phoning me to say in, in the auctions they phone and say so what i focus on the unsold lots after an auctions finished um because at that, that point that that seller and i've sold stuff in auction as well when it when it comes to an auction there's something you know it's a bit like something on ebay you, you know you you're anti although it's a bigger scale but you, you know you're anticipating that to sell you want that to sell because you've got those mentally
0: on... you've already sold it by putting it into auction you? yeah literally you got your reserve
1: um you know, if it hits it, great. Sometimes it doesn't hit, though. And um, if it doesn't hit, the, the mindset is on that day or the day after, that seller's wanting to sell it because they want to release that money to do whatever after. So if it hasn't sold, you kind of think, oh, you know what? Oh, I would have taken another 20 grand off or yeah, 10% off that asking price. So if you get in on that day or the day after and you put in a bit of a cheeky offer, you know, you can you can actually land it. Now, the trick is, obviously, I'm not saying just go after every single one sold lot
0: and put it because you have to know it's going to work. You need to know there's going to be profit at the back end. And yeah, exactly.
1: The deal needs to stack up, number one. But then obviously, the most important thing is that legal pack and making sure you've had a solicitor review that because there are some, you know, there are crap that, you know, that it's an auction for a reason. Sometimes there can be a can of worms with the hasn't got red line drawing, or there's actually a problem with the title. As long as you know what you're dealing with on that, then, you know, so my strategy is very much unsold lots, do it, and then I'll either, I've had cases where I've just bought an auction, you know, and then just sold it, literally on the open market and done nothing to it. Most cases I'm doing some sort of renovation or development on it. Um, So buy it, renovate, sell. Some cases, Know yeah, we did one in Fulham not too long ago. We, we ended up my intention was to sell it, it was a flat in Fulham, short leasehold. Um, we ended up, I showed my wife, she fell in love with it. Though, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. moving to Fulham, yeah. She's like, Oh, I just keep it. It's nice to have a flat. I'm like, Okay, we don't need it. It, it was making 100 grand selling it, and uh, but the numbers worked either way to yeah. sell. It's always good to have two or three stra- exit strategies, so we ended up just holding that as a short leasehold. Um, and that it's doing well cash flow is very nice you know so and again that'll be a nice of, little capital appreciation property. yeah the yes. kids. yeah exactly it's just something to you know if the kids want to study London or whatever or yeah then it's something there in the portfolio so um but yeah but I've, i'm really enjoying the auction stuff um and it's just nice to be able to sell stock really but i think once you've you know you've done a few different strategies you're, you know like i'm sure you, like yourself james you know we you you get bored, you want to try something different, mixing
0: it up, doing different things. Yeah,
1: that's it. So, um, but yeah, no, it's going well. And um, onwards and upwards really, I'm I'm getting more involved on the planning policy side of things now. So we're working closely with a planning consultant and there's probably something to be said just to make focusing on that side of it. We're just planning gain. We're just getting planning approval in place and then selling it with planning without doing the building.
0: So, um so you're looking basically for like less less work still getting paid and faster f- over, over sort of shorter time frames as well yeah exactly
1: that and exactly yeah that's it and i also yeah so but yeah so the shorter time frames and it's actually less of the, the build stuff and you're looking at slightly bigger schemes mm. so where you're just looking at a site and thinking okay, what can you achieve on that Working with your planning consultant and in some cases on the slightly bigger schemes you're not actually having to buy those sites you just you, you're arranging an option yeah. which is actually a lot more viable because the seller
0: also understands what you're trying to do you're and not dealing with like mrs mrs smith that's lived in that house for 60 years and it's happened yeah. to move to a care home and, and then kind of like what's this option thing you're talking about
1: exactly yeah exactly that commercial space is a very different mindset you know they understand what you're trying to do so mm-hmm. it's uh you know now but with all the banks closing and there's a lot more commercial Definitely, yeah, certainly now and in, in the next four, two or three years, there's going to be a lot more. Um, I, I, I foresee there will be a lot more of that stuff coming on the market. Um, too. So, yeah, we're doing a lot of that. I mean, I've still got all of my HMOs and let's They're all operational um, and, and they cash flow very well. It's just obviously you start diversifying and, and doing different things with it as well. So, And I think property allows you to do that just because of the length and breadth of things that you can
0: mm. And despite being, you know, financially secure from property, having a, a very healthy income, there, you also still choose to to work, don't you?
1: Yeah, I still do some consulting. Yeah, I still do some consulting in in, in my field, um, and that's. You know, I did go into. I, I sort of reverted to property, went full time and financially free when was it was about five, four or five years ago, maybe like, about four or five years ago, and I took it took the full plunge, did property full time, um, had a small office close to where I am no first one we're just obviously just having kids and so very young family but i think what i realized i, I missed property can you know, people do say it can be a bit of a lonely journey you know because you are very much just doing stuff on your own yes you've got your builders and architects and all that stuff but my friend circle you know even when i was local, i think i only had one friend It, it made it a very young age he had a sort of galado you know, Lamborghini galado but he's the only other guy sort of my age around locally so you meet up with the odd coffee here or there, but then you kind of get you get bored of yourself a little bit. So I sort of thought, okay, well, look, let me. Although when I was working, before, I was very much you know a lot going on. I, I actually took the intentionally said, look, I'd, I'd go back. I'll go back on my own terms. Um, so I just set up a small consultancy sort of um, business, but it's very much that. Because of the level of experience I've had in that twenty odd years in that field, I thought it would be silly to waste it. So I use still do I'm still dabble in that. Yeah. Uh, but continue to do my property as well. And that's yes. it's a personal choice really. Some people just go full time in property. Um and that's it. Don't look back. In my case, I wanted I didn't mind actually going back. Um and
0: still very much enjoy, you know. It's uh, but it's very much on my terms now. So and what else how else do you kind of fill your time sort of what, what other bits and bobs do you do um yes
1: yeah, so, i mean look it's gym uh you know, cars i love my cars um holidays we've just renovated the house recently so i spend a lot more time with the kids now mm. i intentionally try and keep the evenings free weekends free um at the moment we've, obviously my son and mike he's getting to the point now he's on two wheels so we've just got new bikes, so we're doing a lot more cycle rides um but yeah just family i you know love love spend having the freedom to work you know spend that time with the family is, is really good um and that's something i really enjoy so you know we're, we're hopefully planning potentially hopefully weather looks good this weekend might just do a quick trip to Bournemouth nice um but yeah no it's um it's, it's a nice balance i think it's that freedom. that freedom it is that freedom it really is i don't need to you know th- there's already income coming in through the passive income yeah Um, and then the other stuff, the flips, the auctions, all that stuff is really, it's as big as I want it to be. Um, and I think as human beings, you kind of, I think there's times which I feel I'm getting the urge again is really, I want to go hard again for the the next few years. Um, but then also you need to understand your your body, where you are in your life. You need to give yourself time to rest and recover as well, you know, because, um, when you are in your sort of peak state, it's. You know, it's a bit like what man city have done or you know what liverpool do you know it's hard to sustain that yeah. constantly every single day life you need to sort of adjust it could be months three four months where you just go full on and then you need time to sort of so i think i'm starting to realize that um and you can't just be going in that
0: 150 you know unless you're very very disciplined and focused you need to sort of balance everything out you know so I said you've you've done some amazing things in property over the past 10 years. So massive congratulations to you for that. Um Absolutely. you also sort of help and support other people getting started as well now, don't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So we've obviously I think I think one thing I've realized over the years is is it's one thing growing is yourself, but it's the more you give and the more you can help others, that allows you to to grow as well. So um yeah, so I, I do help others, uh specifically in HMOs now. Um So, whether it be sort of someone's just starting out, you know, or or whatever, then I can certainly help. And we've we've got sort of, um, yeah, we've got things in place now to take take that forward, really. So, but I think by giving to others, it does help you to grow as a person. Because when you see other people growing based on something you've said or you've done, or any support and guidance you can provide to them, it allows you to grow as well. So we we do help others as well now.
0: Awesome. And if our listeners want to get in touch with you, Raj, and um, you know, speak to you, or, or kind of get some support, but you know, for HMOS and things like that, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, so we've got a Facebook group. Um, it's the HMO system, is what it's called. Um, so they can connect, they can join the group, um, and there it's a very it's a strong community of supporting people in HMOS. So um, yeah, literally the the HMO system on Facebook, that's the best way to get in touch. And obviously I'm on the group, I'm fairly active on there, so.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to speak to you and to catch up. Um, and I'll be speaking to you soon at some point, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you very much,
1: James, for having me.
0: All thank the best, you, Raj. You. Thank you. Well, there we go. Another fascinating insight into what makes another successful property investor's business. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Raj and hearing all about the little tips and tricks that he uses and has used to create his HMO portfolio. Stay tuned for next week's episode, which is going to be another interview. I look forward to speaking to you again soon.